Psalm 119. We uh, this will be our last time to to open up here. We spent the majority of the month here, and uh, we're going to have a follow up message, or really the practical application message uh, from Sunday's sermon, which was out of Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And so on Sunday, we um, just looked at trying to get a biblical understanding of meditation. What is it? Um, what does Scripture say about it? What are the blessings that are attached to it? Is it a suggestion? Is it a command? Um, and what happens or how does the Lord use biblical or scriptural meditation uh, in the life of the believer? And I'm not going to rehash all that, but what I do want to do tonight is not give another uh, talk about meditation or what scripture says about meditation, but I want to give some some uh, guidelines for biblical meditation. Um, uh, more of a how-to, uh, something that will hopefully be helpful. Um, as in any of these kinds of things, um, if you want a copy of the notes, just email me or send me a text and tell me to send them to you, um, because there are a lot of notes tonight. So if you like to write, write away. If you don't like to write, I'd be happy to give you the notes. Um, a couple of preliminary comments before we get to we're going to look at two strategies one is a pretty simple one the other one is a little more in-depth but before we get to those strategies I want to make a couple of comments about biblical meditation Um, you remember Psalm 1 says that the man who is meditating in the word day and night just as in Hebrew that's just a they call it a merism it's just a um, he's meditating often um he is blessed, he is fruitful, and the Lord is prospering what he does. We talked on Sunday about the promise that comes along with meditation. Um, and, and so this is, uh, this is something that, you know, people who are interested in communing with the Lord, walking with the Lord, growing in the Lord, something that we ought to be interested in. But that being said, we have to acknowledge when we think about biblical meditation, uh, it is a spiritual discipline, which means it's something you're going to have to work at. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm adapting something that... Um, so the, a lot of these guidelines, when we get to the in-depth ones, are really adapted from two men. Um, one guy named Lou Priolo, another guy named William Bridges. One's a contemporary and one was an old Puritan pastor. Um, and, and one of the things that Lou Priolo says about meditation, um, which I think is helpful, is meditation, memorization, it has nothing to do with your IQ. It has everything to do with what he calls your DQ. Okay? It's not your intelligence quotient, it's your discipline quotient. Um, you don't have to be intelligent to meditate. You just have to be disciplined. Um, when, when we think about what it means for us to 
put a thought upon a thought upon a thought upon a thought as it relates to Scripture, and we'll look at some practical ways to do that in a minute, it doesn't have anything to do with you being able to get into an Ivy League school. Um, this has far more to do with what 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 say about training yourself for godliness or disciplining yourself unto godliness. Okay, exercising yourself unto godliness. So this is a discipline. It's something that we have to work at. Um, it's not easy for anyone on the outset, but the more you do it, just like any other discipline, the more comfortable you get and the better you get at it. Now, the second thing I want to make sure we emphasize Both of these are meant for practical helps. Number one, it's a discipline. So that if you sit down and you try to meditate and three minutes goes by and you think, I'm not any good at this, it's not time to stop. Okay? You gotta keep going. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's something that is gonna take a little bit of time to feel natural probably if you haven't done it. Now secondly, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you, we've referenced this verse a lot of times when we're thinking about change and growth and uh, the fact that growth is incremental, but there's something else to learn here about meditation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, on Sunday, we talked about synonyms in Scripture for meditation, and beholding is one of those words. Beholding is um, synonymous with, it doesn't come from the same word, but it is synonymous, the same idea, gazing at for a prolonged period of time, thinking, rolling it over in your mind. And so, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we all with open faces beholding or meditating, beholding what? The glory of the Lord. What happens when you meditate on, when you behold the glory of the Lord? Well, it says this, we are being changed into the same image from, and it could be translated, one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Okay, incremental changes, incremental growth as we behold, as we meditate. Now here's, here's the point that I want to make tonight. Meditation is for the purpose of practical growth and change. Okay, meditation is for the purpose of practical growth and change. That might mean that you are growing your faith as you meditate on the attributes of God or maybe the promises of God. Or that might mean that you're growing your character as you meditate on biblical precepts, that you're growing in Christ's likeness. But whatever else it means, the end goal of biblical meditation is not that you have deep thoughts for deep thoughts' sake. Okay, that's not the goal. The goal is that as you are thinking and musing and mulling over Scripture, that it begins to go from information to knowledge to implications to applications 
And as Thomas Watson said, you are fetching life out of a truth. It's becoming part of you. Now, here's our first strategy. This is a pretty simple one. There's three helpful questions that you can meditate on after every time you read your Bible or even after every sermon you hear. Okay, Three helpful questions that you can meditate on. In light of the passage or the sermon that God sent me today, three things. Number one, what should I believe concerning God? You know, Scripture's about God, right? God has revealed Himself to us in Scripture. Um, and so as you're reading, whether you're in the old or in the new, whatever chapter you're reading, even if it's a very practical chapter about um, your growth or your sanctification, there's something to be learned about God. So what should I believe concerning God? Secondly, what response does God require of me? What response does God require of me? We, we said in the message on Sunday um, that God gave us Scripture. He tells us this in Deuteronomy 29.29. He tells us this in 2 Timothy 3.16. Jesus tells us this in um, Matthew 4.4. 4. He gave us Scripture to live on, to respond to, not just to fill our heads with. And so what response does God require of me based on the passage or the sermon that I just heard? All right, and then question number three. In light of this, that is in light of the response, how does God specifically want me to grow and change? So let me give you an example. If we say, what response does God require of me? If our answer there is, I need to repent. I need to repent. Then the next question is, what specifically do I need to be repenting of? And what would it look like for me to actually repent of that specific sin? See, you're, you're, you're reducing it down as specific and as personal as you can. Because that's what meditation does for us. So if we're preaching a, a message on self-denial, if you walk away from that message saying, well, I know one thing, I need to deny self more, you hadn't learned a thing. You knew that before you ever came in here. If that's your takeaway, you're going to feel convicted for about 10 minutes and then you're going to eat lunch and then you're just going to go on and have your day. If you hear a, a message or read a passage about self-denial, in order for us to be able to get some good out of that, then we've, we have to begin to think specifics. Where is it that I tend to be pretty stubborn as it relates to denying self? Where is it that I tend to be pretty selfish, pretty self-centered? Okay. We all have an answer to that question to all those questions. And so we want to get specific. How does God want me to specifically grow and change? 
Again, Matthew 4, 4, living off of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the things that are revealed are given to you and to your children so that you might do. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What are the specific ways the Lord is equipping me to grow and change? So those are, that's just a pretty simple, uh, pretty simple three questions that you can ask if you're doing your daily Bible reading, if you read for 10 minutes and you thought about a couple of those questions, you know, for 10 minutes or so, you could, you could do some pretty decent meditating. You could get some stuff out of that passage. Um, if after every sermon you went home and just kind of thought through these things. Now, um, again, meditation takes some time, so it's not, in light of the passage I've just read, what do I need to believe concerning God? Think about that for 30 seconds and then move on to the next. How much of a time you're spending reading, you ought to spend at least that much time meditating. So it takes some time. Insights, observations, they take some time. So that's just a quick one. Three, three easy questions there. Now here's another strategy. And, um, and this is a, this strategy is a long-term plan, really, for meditation that's going to yield much more personal benefit as it relates to your personal growth. Okay, so it's a, it's a little more specific. Um, and so that being said, I'm going to give you, I've got time for it, I'm going to give you eight guidelines, but there's, no way that you're supposed to think through all eight of these at the same time or in the same setting or at the same day. Um, so these are, these are ongoing. You're building one on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. Uh, by the way, I would, I would encourage you if you want to read through Psalm 119 one last time, um, read through that Psalm and and just take note of what must he have been meditating on to say a lot of the things that he's saying. Um, my, my eyes prevent the night watches, but I meditate on your word. My uh, princes come against me, but I meditate on your word. Um, in his afflictions, he's meditating on the word. And so, so it would be a good... It would be a good study to just go through and just make a note. What is he meditating on? What could he possibly be meditating on when his enemies come against him? Or when he wakes up in the middle of the night? Anybody have that problem? Probably most of us. If you don't, just wait. You will. Okay. And he says, when that happens, I'm, I'm meditating. All right. So here's, here's a long-term uh, strategy. Number one. Consider and identify the areas in your life that you know the Lord wants you to grow and change. Okay. Consider and identify the areas in your life that you know the Lord wants you to grow and change. So look, look at Psalm 139.
Psalm 139, look at this prayer that David prays. You'll, you'll know it as soon as I start reading it in verse 23 when he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is saying, Lord, would you search me? Would you search my heart? Would you... Would you know my thoughts? Would you try me or prove me? See if there's any wicked way. And, and when you've done that, lead me. David's considering himself. That's uh, something we see throughout Scripture. You remember the book of Haggai? People come back from um, Babylon. They get back from the exile. They return. Remember the first thing God says to them through Haggai after they had started and they got the foundation ready on the temple and then it just sat stagnant for a long time? Consider what? Your ways. Consider is another one of those synonyms for meditate on. Consider doesn't mean take a few seconds and think about it. Consider is to muse on it. Ponder it. Think about it. It's the same word that we find uh, and we've, we've highlighted in this psalm, Psalm 119, um, verse 59, when the psalmist says, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. So he was thinking on his ways. He was considering his ways. Now, William Bridges says this in his work on the sweetness of divine meditation. He says, in order to practice this work of meditation with profit and sweetness, precede your meditation with the examination of your own soul. Join examination with your meditation, and then it will be profitable, and then it will be sweet. Otherwise, it's nothing but a study on the subject. Okay, so meditation and study are not the same thing. It's good to study. Okay, you should study, but that's not the same thing as meditation. Meditation is considering yourself and then considering what God's Word has to say to where you are or whatever these areas may be in your life that you've identified where you need to grow. It's viewing yourself in light of the Word. So, Identify areas where you need to grow. That's step number one. Step number two. Find and record specific scriptures that relate to the area or areas that you've identified. I would just say this from a practical standpoint. You need to prioritize one or two areas at a time. You don't need to be trying to change ten areas at one time in your life. You won't make it. One or two at a time. So 2 Timothy 3.16, okay, this is what the Word is for. It's to bring conviction, right? But not just conviction. It's also there to bring uh, correction, instruction in righteousness. So it's it's not enough to... Identify areas where you need to grow. That's just step one. If that's all you do and you leave it there, you haven't really done that much. 
The goal is to do that so that you can find these pertinent scriptures that bring correction and instruction in righteousness that you might be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So here's one way you could think about that. If in 2024 you had one or two things that you've thought about, one or two areas in your life where you want to grow, um, and it's just worth saying again, Growth is slow and incremental. Okay, so all of 2024 is not enough time for you to grow out of whatever deficiencies you find as you consider your ways. So if you took 2024, let's just say you your struggle was with people-pleasing or your struggle was with self-control. And as you're doing your Bible reading for the whole year, you're on the lookout for pertinent passages that would address that issue. And when you found them, you wrote them down in a notebook somewhere so that at the end of the year, you have a year's worth of reading and you've logged a year's worth of passages, how much ever you've covered as far as Scripture is concerned, um, that you can then go back and think through. Hopefully you're thinking through those as, as you're going as it relates to this specific area in your life. There's a couple of things I'm going to mention about hindrances to Bible reading, but one of the hindrances to Bible reading, one of the reasons why people just don't make it and their endurance is just not there is because they do not read with purpose. If you're reading just to read, you're going to get bored. You need to have a goal. You need to have a purpose. What are you going to learn from Scripture in 2024? What do you want to learn from Scripture? In 2024, um, do you want to learn more about the character of God? Do you want to learn more about a specific section? Do you what what do you want to learn? If you just come at Scripture just with the goal of I want to read so I can say I read, you're probably not going to make it. Even if you do make it, you're not going to get much out of it. So. Finding those scriptures that relate to these areas in your life that you've identified. Um, Number three. So number one, consider your ways. Number two, find and record pertinent scriptures. Number three, discover the correct interpretation of the scriptures that you're meditating on. Okay. So here's where a little bit of study might come into place. Make sure you understand what the passage means. Make sure you understand what it says. Um, you can do that in a lot of different ways. You can, do a, you can do some word study if you need to do that. You can check yourself with a commentary if you want to do that. You can ask your pastor or someone that you trust to, to, to see what their thoughts, to check your interpretation. Uh, but you ought to make sure you understand what the verse actually means before you go to meditating on it. Wouldn't it be something if you spent all year meditating on a verse just to find out that you've been meditating on the wrong meaning the whole time? So one of the one of the examples would be, what if you were going to meditate on the passage in Revelation where Jesus tells the Laodiceans that he would rather be cold than hot uh, are cold than, than, than lukewarm. And your thought on that was, well, what he's really saying there is, I'd rather you not be doing nothing than just be 
lukewarm. You know, the colder you are spiritually, that's preferable to just being lukewarm. You can come up with all kinds of crazy, silly thoughts if that was your interpretation. If you didn't recognize that what he's referring to is the aqueduct system that was there and the water that was lukewarm was not useful. The cold water was useful. The hot springs were useful, but the lukewarm water was nasty. And he's not saying, I would rather you be ice cold spiritually if you're just going to be lukewarm. He's saying, I want you to be useful. Can you see what I'm, can you see the difference? Not just in the meaning, but in meditating on something like that. So you want to make sure you have a correct understanding. A lot of, there's a lot of different applications that you might have to a passage, but there's only one interpretation. And while we're thinking about this, this is something I think probably doesn't need to be emphasized too hard, but it's worth saying. As you're meditating on Scripture, do not exceed the scope of Scripture. You know what I mean when I say that? If you're meditating on something that's in a passage, don't let your meditations go beyond what the passage is actually saying. So William Bridges, again, gives us some help here. He says, be sure of this, that nothing falls within the compass of your meditations that does not fall within the compass of Scripture. For instance, you may think about what God was doing before the world was made, but there is little to no Scripture for this. Therefore, it is not an appropriate topic for your meditation. You may even think you are a reprobate. You may say, I have the marks of a reprobate upon me, but where does the Scriptures give any marks of a reprobate? The Scripture gives marks of a wicked man that may possibly be converted, but if you would carry on the work of meditation in such a way as it may be done with sweetness, be sure that it is supported by Scripture. Let nothing fall within the compass of your meditation that does not fall within the compass of Scripture. So you don't want to let your mind go wild. You want to make sure you're actually meditating on what's in Scripture, what's informed by Scripture. So you want to know the, the interpretation of the passage. And you want to make sure you're not getting out of the bounds of what's there. That may sound kind of silly, but folks have come up with some wacky, wacky stuff by what we could call you know, free association when it comes to meditation, just letting their thoughts run wild. All right, number four. This is a helpful one. Number four. Personalize each passage of Scripture. Personalize each passage of Scripture. Uh, let me give you an example. This is a personal example from Isaiah 41, verse 10. And you can personalize a passage in a couple of different ways. But Isaiah 41.10, familiar verse, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, Abby and I had this verse hanging up on our little half wall whenever we were in Laban or ten years ago with David. And when we wrote it down, I wrote it down in a way to try to, again, personalize it, make it 
real to us. And so what I did was I changed the tense of it. And it was very helpful, at least to me at the time. And so it went like this. Fear not, for I'm with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I am strengthening thee. I am helping thee. And I am upholding thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And I even reworded it a little bit. Um, I am helping you. I am strengthening you. I am upholding you with the right hand of my righteousness. So it's, it's taking uh, a passage, a promise that's pertinent, and it's personalizing it. Um, you're not changing the content of it, um, but you are personalizing that passage and, and, and doing that for yourself. Uh, another way you can do that is um, changing the pronouns to um, I, me, my, uh, as you seek to apply or preach the passage uh, to your own heart. So, Psalm 27. In Psalm 27, verse 8, David says, When thou said, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. David's personalizing this. He says, Lord, when you said, Seek, seek my face, my heart said to you, I will seek your face. This isn't just a passage that's meant to be read. It's not just a passage that's meant to be understood. It's a passage that's meant to be lived off of. And so you've told me to seek your face. I could do all the word studies in the world. I could do everything else. But if I don't actually seek your face, the passage is not doing me any good. So you're personalizing the passage, making it personal, uh, speaking it back even to yourself the way the psalmist does in Psalm 42 as he reminds himself, Psalm 42, verse 5, he speaks to himself and then he reminds himself of a truth. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance or the help of his presence. So again, the psalmist, I would, I would argue that the bulk of the psalms would be David or the sons of Korah or uh, whoever else the uh, author is who's writing personalizing scripture. So psalms would be a good place to go to, to see that. Uh, number five. Work to apply the passage individually and specifically to every area of your life. Now, when I say every area of your life, I'm not talking about every issue that you have. I'm talking about your motives, your thoughts, your affections, your will, your attitudes, your words, your actions, every area of your life. You're seeking to apply that Scripture to every area there. Um, and again, as you're doing this, you're not doing it all in one setting. But there is a direct correlation 
between the strength that a passage is going to have in your life and the number of applications that you've made from it. There are some passages that have ministered to you in the past and they have helped you in the past and, and they're just meaningful to you. They're helpful to you in difficult times because they were helpful to you in previous difficult times. And then there are some passages that just after a while just become automatic because you've used them so much. You've applied them so much. I've mentioned this to you before and um, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.9 is one of those for me. I make it my aim to please Him. And that's not because I live a life that's completely pleasing to the Lord. It's because I'm tempted to make it my aim to please me. And so I use that passage a lot whenever I know that I am in direct violation of God's will and I need to turn from that. I need to be motivated to do what God would have me to do rather than serve myself. And so you may have your passages like that, but your your motives, okay? I make it my aim to please Him in my motives. Does that matter? If you do the right thing for the wrong reason, is that pleasing to God? No, it's not. You're a good Pharisee, but it doesn't please God because God is after the heart. So a little meditation on the motives would go a long way maybe. What about our thoughts? Does God care if our thought life is pleasing to Him? Yes, He cares about that. What about the affections? Does the Lord care about what stirs your affections? Does He care about what you love? Well, there is a love that God hates, right? Love not the world or the things in it. What about your attitudes? Does God care about your attitudes? Or your words? And at this time, at this point, you already know the answer is yes. Or your actions. And so as we're thinking through a passage, we're not just thinking about um, one dimension. We're we're thinking about applying it uh, to the whole person. Um. So for time's sake, let me move on and get the last few. This is going to be a quick one. Number six, um, a very helpful way to meditate is to make melody in your heart or to sing. Okay, Singing Scripture songs, singing biblically-based hymns. You know, there's a lot of hymns in Scripture or in, in our hymnal that are based on Scripture. I mean, the writer had a passage in mind when he wrote them. That doesn't make them authoritative, but it does make them very helpful as you try to meditate on Scripture. Um, to take a song and, and to sing it with the passage in mind, to mull it around in your mind. Um, scripture songs, of course, a lot of you grew up with Scripture songs. Um, putting anything to music is uh, much easier uh, to memorize. And so, making melody in your heart, Psalm 119.54, we looked at this passage uh, one day this month, but it says, Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. So singing uh, biblically-based hymns can be very helpful as it relates to meditation. Alright, and then the last one. Last guideline here. 
Do not attempt to squeeze meditation into your busy schedule. But build your schedule around God's Word. Okay, so don't attempt, uh, don't hope that you're going to find a spare five or ten minutes to do meditation in the middle of your busy schedule. You will not. Okay, I, I said earlier, I, I made a comment about uh, reading without purpose and that being a detriment to your Bible reading long term and your endurance. Here's another one. This is just, this is in my experience, just my observation. Uh, in my experience, structure is by far the weakest link in most people's Bible reading. Structure. What do I mean by that? I just mean having the same time on the same day, uh, uh, the same time in the day, or or even knowing tomorrow when I'm going to try to read, at what point, and then where am I going to go. Having a disciplined time, whatever that is for you. If you're a night owl, do it at night. If you're an early bird, do it in the morning. If you need to do it during your lunch break, do it then. But just structure. Okay, that's Bible reading, but meditation, which could be attached to it, um, certainly needs uh, to be something that you put down in your schedule. It, it needs to be a time where hopefully you can spend some uh, you can have some quiet and actually think that you got to think to be able to meditate and uh, um, time where you can give yourself to um, to scripture, to thoughts and to prayer. So, again, this tonight is not really much of a sermon, but biblical guidelines for practicing the discipline of biblical meditation. I would uh I would encourage you to implement either the three-step questions that we went through first, and then maybe to slowly begin to do the longer strategy. Um, it will be a blessing. It, it's, a, it's an investment. There are sacrifices that need to be made. Um, but I think I said this on Sunday. If I didn't, I said it some other day. But I wonder, I wonder how many passages of Scripture we would memorize and meditate on if we knew that for every passage we were going to get $100. We'd win the Bible Bowl, wouldn't we? And yet, Scripture says, God says, that the value of Scripture is far beyond rubies, far beyond treasure. And so, may the Lord bless us to devote time and attention to this discipline of meditation and being in God's Word. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank You that You've given us such free access to Your Word. Uh, thank You, Father, that we have no hindrances uh, in reading it. We have no hindrances in hearing it preached. Um, we have um, all kinds of access. And uh, so, Father, we thank You for it. I pray that You would bless us um, to... Um, to lay hold of, to apply ourselves to this discipline of biblical meditation, that you would bless our efforts uh, in doing that, and that we would find, as the psalmist, that we would find it sweet. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.